Welcome to Exotic Pets. I'm Tracy Hotchner, whom you may know as the dog and cat lady, but I'm wearing a different hat here. With the brilliant collaboration of my co-host, Dr. Doug Mater, the world-renowned veterinarian specializing in exotic animals, we are here to celebrate all the other pets that share people's lives. This show is for people interested in pets that slither, hop, creep, fly, or swim, from bunnies to iguanas, parrots to ferrets, snakes to tortoises. Dr. Doug is going to teach us the physical requirements of these exotic pets and how to manage the often challenging environments and correct diets essential to their welfare. Dr. Doug Mater is the author of the wonderful memoir, The Vet at Noah's Ark, Stories of Survival from an Inner City Animal Hospital. He is recognized worldwide as a veterinary specialist on exotics and is the author of four major veterinary textbooks on reptiles and amphibians. We are proud to have ZooMed Laboratories as the founding sponsor of Exotic Pets. ZooMed has earned its reputation as the number one reptile and amphibian supplier in the world from simple beginnings 45 years ago as a passion project for one man who still runs it. Renowned as the international leader in UVB and heat lighting, ZooMed manufactures all their reptile supplies, accessories, and tools in the U.S., which they test on their own collection of animals, which surround everyone at headquarters. We're also sponsored by Oxbow Animal Health, the one brand that has stood out for more than 30 years as the leader in health and wellness for small mammals. Veterinarians, rescues, and passionate pet parents worldwide trust Oxbow to support the health and happiness of their small pets. Oxbow provides for rabbits and guinea pigs, ferrets and chinchillas, hamsters and gerbils, mice and rats, because these small pets have big hearts and require special nutrition and care. Oxbow has everything needed for their best life, the right hay and nutritionally complete foods, treats and supplements, litter and bedding, and a whole line of enrichment products created so your little loved ones can chew, play, hide, and explore every day. We're also brought to you by the bird food specialist Zupreme, which started with a revolutionary yet simple idea, provide exceptional diets for extraordinary animals. Best known as the bird nutrition specialist, Zupreme creates many foods for birds of all sizes, and they also make a variety of treats to appeal to every sort of bird and enhance their lives. Dr. Doug Mater and I are so happy, grateful, and excited to have one of the really leading doctors in the exotic space, particularly for birds, Dr. Jennifer Graham. Join me to talk about birds because I particularly concerned that people own birds, particularly the larger ones, parrots of various kinds, and they don't really understand how ill these birds can get and what their needs are physically. Dr. Graham is a board-certified specialist in zoological medicine, which is a really big deal, very hard specialty to be boarded in, and also avian exotic companion mammals. But is it true, Dr. Jennifer, that birds are your first love, or am I just imagining that? <laughs> um, birds are my first, well, I, I always did a lot of wildlife rehab, and then when I was in vet school at Auburn University, we had a raptor rehabilitation center, and oh. that's actually where everything started in terms of, I had a, a very interesting case of an owl that we did an intraocular prosthetic, what? and I presented that at some conferences, and that's where everything happened in terms of meeting my future 
mentor for my internship and getting sucked into the land of exotics. And so really, I do have to say it was it was actually birds of prey was one wow. of the first. And you did um, what exactly for this owl? You gave him a glass eye? Well, essentially, silicone. So with owls, half of their head essentially is their eyeball. Like they have these tubular shaped eyes that are quite large. And when you have um, an ocular trauma, if you have to remove an eye that's painful, for example, it causes a, a defect on the side of their face. And part of the way that owls hunt is by funneling sound to their ears. So they have these asymmetric ears. And if there is a defect, there's concern about that, you know, the, the hunting ability. And so we were trying to look at options for a way to preserve that sort of architecture, even wow. though the bird was blind and had a damaged eye. And then since then, we've learned a lot about birds of prey and release. And we actually know that one-eyed owls have been reported to do okay in the wild. Uh, but it was, at the time, was a pretty innovative uh, approach. And so I enjoyed that. That opened a lot of doors for me. The case of the one-eyed owl. This is really, I, I hope that people listening that, that have birds or any exotics and are just interested to learn more, which is what the show's about, might also consider maybe they should become a vet who could specialize in birds of prey. I mean, what an amazing thing to do. Come to think of it, I think I once had on the show, on my NPR show, Dog Talk, a veterinarian who is uh, who is in the United Arab Emirates, where a lot of very, very, very wealthy sheiks and so forth have hunting birds of prey. And it, when she first went there for the first two years because she was female, they refused to send their birds to her until she cured one bird who was on death's door. And then she became, you know, the bee's knees. So it, it you could make a whole Absolutely. profession, couldn't you, yeah. out of taking care yeah, of... Yeah, and in the state. Um, usually, like if there's um, wildlife rehabilitator, uh, you have to have special permits and a lot of training to work with raptors. Um, but one of the more common needs is for people who hunt with birds of prey, falconers. Yes. And so when they need veterinary care, there's falconers all over. And so that's probably the most common reason veterinarians would need to provide care other than injured wildlife or birds that are used in, um, you know, that are used for public education, things like that. Well, I think it's great that you can put a, a foot in both camps, so to speak, and work with the wild ones and the owned ones. Let's talk about the, the bird that lives in the house with somebody. My, I've brought this up many times on the show because it bothers me so much. My father had an African gray. He died at 102. My father did. The bird's got another 100 years to go or something. I'm kind of joking. But he never took the dog, the, the dog, the bird to a vet. He had no idea about how to feed it properly, just horrifying, things off the table all the time, and had no idea what any of its physical wellness or illness issues were. So now my brother, who's half of 102 more or less, has inherited Ernie the bird, and he did find a vet in Connecticut, so he has seen a vet with the bird. But what about people who either don't have access to an exotic vet or would rather just figure it out for themselves? What are the things that you should be on the lookout for to just know is your bird as well as they can be? What would be the subtle signs of a bird off his feed, so to speak? That's a great question. And, and first off, just as a reminder to people, um, when we think about our captive birds, they're prey species. So unlike, you know, the raptors who are predators, our 
parrots are prey species and they hide their signs of illness. If they look sick, oh. then things, bad things happen. And so right. that's the problem is virtually anything a bird does could be a sign of illness because they're, they're masters at hiding it. And what I see very commonly in the clinic are situations where birds who are so debilitated on death's door because people didn't pick up on the subtle signs. And then it does sometimes affect the relationship, the veterinary client relationship, because, you know, somebody takes their bird in and they're like, well, I took it to the vet and my bird died, you know, and blaming the vet when in fact the bird was really, so I would say that's one of the hardest parts of my job is people come to me for help, but sometimes it's late. Animals are so ill. So if, if they had picked up on signs earlier, there may have been more of a chance. So, but just a little bit back to your father and the gray. One of the things that is um, also important to keep in mind is that we keep birds in a very artificial environment and they are meant to be in the wild. They are meant to be flying. Yes. And we have these birds in these little cages, oftentimes not getting any exercise. So a lot of the things that we see are secondary to how we, like most birds end up with osteoporosis. There's all kinds of things that we see because the birds are not doing what they're supposed to right. be doing. And a lot of the issues we see, um, the medical issues, we can track back to what the birds are eating, what they're doing or are honestly not doing because they're perched potatoes just sitting on a yeah. perch. And yeah. that's so different than what they should be doing. And so there's things that we can do at home too to try to enrich their lives. And, and, and that nutrition and, and trying to encourage foraging behaviors and more natural behaviors is a big preventative for illness. So, so that's, that's really important. That. And I like the phrase perch potato. And it is pretty heartbreaking. It's not as though you can say to somebody with a cat, God, you know, cats are hunters, they need a chance to see the outside. And you could build them a catio. Worst, worst case, you could build them a catio, they could get outside, they could be on a really natural tree and climb up it and look at least at the birds. You can't really let the birds be birds. You can't build an aviary and let them, even if you built the biggest aviary, they couldn't fly very far, right? Well, that's true. Yeah. Unless you are, there are some people who keep free flighted birds, but then there's always the risk of them not coming back. So yeah, it's, it's a, and it's a lot of work to, to have a flighted bird takes a lot of work to be able to ensure safety. They have to have some training, um, you know, and, it's it's accidents can happen so there is a, a lot that's involved with that but it is the best thing for birds to do if they can fly so and even in some countries wing trims are not even allowed in oh, some countries oh really so interesting cuz cuz Dr. Doug does have a macaw and I believe he lets her fly. I get confused. You know, the tortoise is outside. It's got my name, which is must be very confusing for Dr. Doug now that we do the show together. <laughs> Tracy, he's calling. I think the tortoise is Tracy and the bird is Simon, but I could have it upside down. But he loves that macaw like crazy love. And I think he lets her fly. But because, as you just said, she's prey. If there is a bird of prey out there, they could pick her off big as she is, and they certainly could see her color-wise, right? Absolutely, yeah. And I've got chickens and a little budgie and an Amazon parrot and all of that. And there's hawks that live in my backyard. <laughs> wow, like just constant. waiting, waiting for you to make a mistake. <laughs> exactly. Um, oh. uh, so back to the question. Yes. Sorry, I digress. No, no, it's, it's good. The digression's great because people need to he- hear all of it. <laughs> Yeah. So um, one of the things that is a a big clue is if birds are not eating as much. And that's really tricky because birds 
are meant to, um, you know, they're natural eating. If people have a bird, they know they throw food everywhere. They're very messy. Um, And that's helpful environmentally because they disperse seeds and that's their job. Um, But when they're in a household, then that can make it really difficult because just because a bird is, um, you know, that the food has been disturbed and there's food on the ground does not necessarily mean that the bird has consumed food. And when you look at them, they're kind of like a ball of feathers. You can't really tell much about them um, unless you have a body weight. And so that's one of the big things that I do try to encourage people to do is have a scale that weighs in one gram increments and then track your bird's weight like every week or so. And then you'll know what their normal weight is. And that's one of the, the first signs is they may have a drop in body weight or, a, or an increase. If they're going to lay an egg, for example, their body weight jumps up. So oh, I do have clients, um, some of the most astute clients about picking things up early. It's because they're weighing their birds. So that's helpful. Um, but when birds are sick, uh, one of the things and their body temperatures are much warmer than ours. Like they could be 104 degrees Fahrenheit up to 111 degrees no Fahrenheit. No kidding. Much, much warmer. And when they're sick, um, you know, they, they are going to be cold. And one of the things that they do is they kind of puff their feathers up. And that helps to provide like a, an air, like a layer of insulation, sort of like a, a, ja- a down jacket. For right. Things. Like outdoor um, birds so, do. Wild birds. Exactly. And so when the pet birds are sitting in the cage and they're fluffed, um, you know, they may temporarily fluff as they're grooming, but if they're just sitting there fluffed, that's not good. That means, that means you need to get them checked out for sure. That's, that's a really good one. Um, so, um, you also had on you there was a great article that you were quoted in a prolonged molt with continuous presence of pin feathers now that should be something pretty obvious to people if they knew what to look for so how often does a bird molt does it depend on the kind of bird or where they live or the temperature where they live yeah and that that's a really important point is that the skin and feathers are a big clue about disease so not only the molting but also Birds that are on a poor nutritional plane or are sick, their feathers are dull. They're not as bright. Um, sometimes even their feathers can be discolored like dark if they're not getting the nutrition they need. And their skin can be really flaky. They can have sores on the bottom of their feet. Oh, dear. Um, so That sounds all of awful. Yeah, it's it's called bumblefoot or pododermatitis. And it's really, um, it's painful. And we see it more in birds, especially if they're overweight, if they don't have the proper perches. But um, malnutrition is is a common cause. But with molting, it's tricky because with our captive birds, they're not in a natural environment. And so a lot of people will provide ultraviolet lighting because birds, if you didn't know, they can see in the ultraviolet spectrum, which is kind of crazy. Wow. Um, they can see a lot more things than we can. So then there's concern about them being in our types of lighting that are not ultraviolet, that that affects their welfare. Um, but especially birds who are not getting natural light cycles, part of what drives the molt is um, change of seasons, light cycles, temperatures. And so sometimes when we have birds in an environment where they're not getting any natural light and then, you know, there's air conditioning or heat on it, they're, they're very confused. So sometimes they can be, um, they may have a tendency to have irregular molts. They typically molt in the spring and the fall. Now, Every it's it's not always the case, but that's that's generally um, the timeline. And when they're molting, what people will notice is a bunch of feathers everywhere. So that they tend to molt their wing and tail feathers. Um, they, they'll notice the big long feathers when that happens, which can happen over a period of weeks 
but then there's the little the contour feathers that are much smaller, so they may just notice feathers all over. Um, but when they're gro- doing normal grooming behaviors, they should groom off the little um, sheath that's on the feather. And so when we say pin feather, that's a feather that's coming in. It's developing and has a blood supply and a nerve supply. As that feather's developing, they should be preening and removing that outer keratin sheath so that the feathers unfurl and um, that's just kind of the, the natural cycle. And if birds are not feeling well, they may not remove the sheath off those feathers. So the pen feathers will look, unlike a regular feather that's fluffy, it looks almost like a little stick because it's just that I'll sheath be over it. And if birds, you know, some birds, they can't, you know, they can't reach the top of their head. And so part of what being a bird is, is living in a flock and having flock mates that help you, they preen off the pin feathers on your head, but in captivity. So sometimes birds will like it if, if owners, now the feathers are sensitive, but some birds actually like it if owners help them kind of get that. Oh my God, that's so sweet. Is there a particular little brush or comb or just our fingers? How would we gently or know when to stroke the top of the bird's head? Is that how you would do it with a stroking motion in the direction of the feathers? Well, actually what it is, it's just, and and I would say, you know, usually I just use my hands, but wash your hands well. So there's not a lot of oil, but especially on the top of the head, um, you'll feel, and and don't do it until after the bird has molted because you want to do it when the feathers are fully mature. So the immature feather has kind of a, bluish or purplish base because it's got a blood supply. So we're talking about fully mature feathers that the shaft is clear that there's not blood because they won't want you to do it if it's um, if it's a blood feather, it's sensitive. So most of the times bird will not solicit any sort of grooming if they're, you know, if it's going to be uncomfortable. But I just kind of pinch the little shaft very lightly and roll it in my fingers and it just, it just, it's, it's almost like dust. It just kind of comes off. How neat. And so... They and a lot of birds will because if you watch them in the wild, they put their head down. The other bird will, yes, um, you know, preen off those pin feathers. But in terms of, I guess I would make a point of saying um, stroking birds because part of the you know sort of the artificial environment that birds are in, they're hand raised, and so they they essentially malimprint. They get imprinted on people, and so then that can be a problem if they look at you as their not only their flock member but also their mate. And so we see a lot of reproductive problems in birds. And so we want to be careful. We kind of jokingly say no petting below the neck. Oh, that's um, hilarious. Stroking across um, a bird's back could be stimulatory from a reproductive standpoint. So then there's a fine line between, you know, helping with preening, but then also not um, not stimulating them wanting to, you know, wow. have us as their mate. That is just, there's so many subtle issues that, People have no way of knowing if they have a friendly, cheerful bird. They may think that just running their (laughs) hand from the head down to the tail is just, you know, like stroking a dog, a cat, or even a little kid. So it's really... Yeah, that's a no-no. That's a (laughs) no-no. Nothing below the neck. It's probably a very good good parameter for everybody. Dr. Graham, we've, we've run out of time. But I'm really eager for you to come back and we'll talk about more serious signs of a bird being sick. But I think what this is really telling us is, and we've I've talked about it with Dr. Colas and with Dr. Mater, is you need to start your relationship with your exotic with a vet visit, with a vet who's comfortable with your avian, 
And then you get a little training and a little teaching and a little support from the vet. So you know the very things that you're talking about. You know what to look for. And you know that you have somebody to come to, whether it's online or in person, if things don't look quite right to you. Always better to ask, right, than to think, I guess the, the bird's okay. If you have any doubt. Absolutely. Yeah, any doubt. Yeah, and if you have a bird in hand and examine them, you get a lot more info. Um, so, exactly. yeah, that can, can give you a lot more details about the health. Okay, really good to know. The birds and I thank you very much. Oh, of course. My pleasure. Dr. Doug Mater and I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Exotic Pets and our desire to educate and inspire you to give your exotics their best possible life. This show is brought to you by the wonderful companies that cater to the needs of exotic pets. From Zubad Laboratories, where they make everything you need to keep your reptiles and amphibians in tip-top shape, to Oxbow Animal Health, with health and wellness solutions for small mammals, and Zupreme, the company dedicated to your bird's nutrition. And if you haven't read Dr. Doug's book, The Vet at Noah's Ark, yet, do yourself a favor and pick up a copy.